0: Well, good morning, children five to eight can be dismissed at this time for junior church. So, yeah, if you have your Bibles, we'll ask you to turn over to First Samuel chapter 17, probably the most familiar story in the whole Bible. So what I've often said with this, let's treat it like that old Kellogg's commercial, taste again for the first time. Fair enough? I was thinking this week, um, Hans Christian Andersen writes a story called The Emperor's New Clothes. Do you remember that? Yeah, you, you, you remember the emperor's incredibly vain and ends up getting hoodwinked by... Some would-be uh, individuals are going to make him some new clothes. They were no, It was all invisible, right, and there was nothing there. And they, he, they, they told everybody, if you don't see these, it's because you're either stupid or a person of low position or something, you know. And so nobody wanted to say anything. And so this guy in his skibbies, you know, is just kind of walking right through, parading right through the village and the whole area, and everybody's saying how beautiful he he, li- he looks. Until so finally a kid stands up and says, he doesn't have any clothes on. And we read a story like that, and we think to ourselves, hooray for that kid. <laughs> I mean, there, there, isn't there something inside of us that, When everybody else, because of pressure, is running downstream, there's somebody that's kind of pushing upstream. We we, we like that, don't we? We celebrated this past year 500 years for the Reformation. And we love Martin Luther, don't we? We love him because we say, here's a guy who stands up in the midst of a corrupt church and says, no, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And we stand back. And we applaud. Rightly so. As we come to this particular text today. It's one of those kinds of texts. When everybody else is going downstream. One young boy. Is willing to go upstream. And I think what you'll find. And so the title you can see there. When God is big. And people are small. We're going to come back to that throughout. Um, we're in a. We're in a book in which opposition is going to show the cowardice of the current leader and it's going to show the courage of the future leader. And I think I showed you a a chart like this last week. I adapted it just a little bit. I didn't quite like the way I'd done it, so... I changed it just a little bit, but here's what I want you to see. This is very, very important. If you were here last week, we talked about the fact there's a whole series of reversals that go on in the book of First Samuel, you know, whether you're looking at priest or king. Saul has been ruling now for some 20 years, and what you find as you read chapters 9 through 15 is this steady demise of his rule. And then last week, we looked at the fact that God had chosen a new king, and David comes on the scene. In the chart, it is in chapter 17 that they collide. And, 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 because I, I, normally when you come to 1 Samuel 17, people call this David and Goliath. I don't think it's the right name for this, this, this chapter. I think it's much better to call it David and Saul. And what you're going to find is Goliath stands as kind of a mirror showing the courage of the one and the cowardice of the other. So these whole series of, of reversals we're going to find, you can actually take the the chapter itself and, and I've just tried to plot it out for you there, but you see how there's two humps? Okay. The first 11 verses are going to deal with that first hump, which is all about Saul and exposing Saul. And the second section is going to be all about showing us David. All right? So let's kind of walk our way through this. Opposition has this way of unmasking the cowardly. Listen to what the text says. Chapter 17, verse 1, as the setting begins. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Succoth in Judah... They pitched at Ephesdamim between Succo and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. That wasn't unusual at all. You know, you would often have one army on this side, one army on that side, and at the right time, they'd have at it. Right, But they did have this custom in the ancient world. And the custom was all tied into the power of your gods. And you you could literally then have a representative from one side come down and a representative from another side come down. And whoever won, their god was greater. Do you see? Now... Here's what's fascinating to me. If you start reading in Genesis chapter 1 and you read all the way through to the book of Revelation, you will find that this passage here gives us the longest description of a military person in the entire Bible. And you as a reader should always ask yourself, why? Why, if you're moving through this story, like, why don't we just get to the, to the scene between David and Goliath and have at it? You know, and be done with this whole thing. It's, I mean, the chapter's 58 verses, for heaven's sakes. You, you could get to it quickly, couldn't you? But the inspired storyteller is very, very interested. He wants you to see just how big the representative of the Philistines, how big he really is. So listen to what the text says. Verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span, almost ten feet tall. Scholars debate, nine, six, nine, nine, almost ten feet. Can you imagine having him on your basketball team? Really, can you? I mean, literally, he could almost block the rim just standing there. And if he puts his hands up like this. He's touching the top of the backboard. I mean, wouldn't you love to have that guy on your team? He could just go around like this every time people are shooting. He just stands like that. And they don't get a chance, you know. Be an incredible thing. Ten feet tall. Big guy. But listen to what else it says. He had a bronze helmet on his head. And wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's about 125 I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I used to sometimes wear vest weights um, when I was playing sports, you know, and then they'd make you get in the gym and go like, you know what I mean, you just try to make it, you know, it was very difficult, but they weren't that, it wasn't that much, but can you imagine 125 pounds wearing and just carrying it around, and it's bronze, as the sun hits it, it, gl- it what a formidable, for, really, really an amazing thing. Goes on to say this: on his legs he wore bronze greaves. He had a bronze javelin was slung on his back, and and he has a he has a sword, he has a javelin, he has a spear. He's got it all. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. I mean, it was huge. They grabbed that. spear. I mean, it's just bad news, you know, especially. Its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's about 15 pounds. A shot put weighs about 16 pounds, I think. Something, something like that. This, is, this spear, this is, a, this is a really big spear. And you can imagine when he winged it, it really would have had an impact, right? And here's the point, folks. The inspired storyteller describes him from head to foot And tells you about the armor he has and and the weaponry that he has. So that you look back and you go, holy mackerel. That guy's big. Wow. He wants you to think that way. He was big. Formidable. So what happens? Oh, incidentally. Who was Israelite's giant? Who stood head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel? It was Saul. So Saul's name is is peppered all the way through here. Verse 16, for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and he defied the armies of Saul and in defying the armies of Saul he defied the armies of the true and living God. Do you realize that? That's what he was doing. The Philistines are better than the Israelites. Our gods over your... You know, that's, that's what's going on here. Look at verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And it ends there. If... If this story was a story about Saul and Saul alone, this story would be a tragedy one day. Do you see that? You would just say, the guy's huge. He's defying Israel. Israel's king, Israel's giant stands back. And like everybody else, he and all the followers, they're terrified. And they shiver in their boots. Isn't there anybody that that will do anything? Enter David in verse 12. Think about it. How significant and important is David? Remember we said last week he was brought out of the, they keep bringing him out of the sheepfold. Well, he's been with Saul, and he's played music for Saul, but apparently he Saul maybe is feeling a bit better or whatever, but he's back in the sheepfold, and that's where he is again when chapter 17 opens up. There he is, back there. And he's a good guy, but he doesn't have a very impressive resume. Last, last week I had Samuel stand up, you remember, and and Samuel... I found out from his father's about five. Well, I'm not going to bring him up yet, but he's about five one and, and thirteen, right? Thirteen years of age and all that. Maybe as chapter seventeen opens up, maybe now David's fifteen. Okay, we we don't know exactly his age, but he's not much older than he was in chapter sixteen. But here's what I love: David is merely being David through this whole chapter. Do you realize that? It wasn't like David got up that morning. Because his father is going to treat him as a grocery boy. I want you to take this food, and I want you to go see how things are going on the front lines. Say hi to your brothers, some extra food for the captains, and blah, 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 blah. It wasn't like David said, God, God, this is my moment. Today, I show everyone, who you are, and that I should be the next king. Go fight, win. Is that what happened? No, David is David. That's all he is in this passage. And his father, Jesse, comes and says, take the food. So he does. Look at verses 17. And for 40 days, this big lug has been coming out in the middle of the valley and doing what he was doing. Verse 17. Now, Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and ten loaves. And and he does that. I'm sorry. Let me go down to verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up the set, and set out as Jesse had directed him. He reached the camp as the army was going out into its battle position, shouting the war cry. So they did this every time. You know, they'd all come, rawr! and then trudging down into the very middle of the valley would be Goliath, and he'd say, send me somebody. I mean, this happened 40 days. It was just kind of the routine, so here we go again, all right? Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their battle lines. David left his things when he heard this with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Do you see this, folks? David's up talking with his brother, down trudges Goliath, and David walks up to hear the guy. And as he's speaking, he looks to his side, and everybody else is going like this, right? I mean, they're backing out of that thing. And there's David alone. And, and it's really fascinating. In the very next, next section, what you see are desperate Israelites, because for the first time, they actually, now he's only a kid, all right? He's not that old, maybe 15. There he's standing there, and he's actually living. listening. And he doesn't look afraid at all. Matter of fact, he looks kind of ticked off. So you know what they do? They deal with him. David, do you know what Saul will do for the person that goes and fights and, and wins against this guy? No more taxes for his family. Now, that's a good deal, especially with April coming, right? And, and and no more taxes, and he's going to get one of the king's daughters and all this. And David looks around and says, really? When that bum Is standing there and defying the the, the, the armies of the living God. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. This is our territory. God gave it to us. What's he standing there for? And and he says, so that's what they'll do? Yeah, yeah, that's what they'll do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're panic-stricken. I mean, they're not looking at David and saying, wow, look at his physique, man. They're desperate. For the first time, they see somebody with some courage, for goodness sakes. And they're desperate. His older brother, Eliab, is there, isn't he? He's not so impressed. And here's what fascinates me. Eliab already knows that David's going to be the next king. There's inevitably jealousy there. I mean, I get it. Don't you get that? If you have more than one child, you know what I'm talking about. I have six six children. I've seen this played out many times over. Okay, this kind of thing. And so Eliab looks at him and he says, You should be out with the sheep. You're evil in your heart. And it's a total reversal of what's actually true, folks. He's doing this out of the abundance of his heart. And Eliab says, You're evil in your heart. Eliab, Eliab, you know better. You know the anointing. Come on. And David looks at Eliab and says, look, I'm just asking a question. And and the people say, yeah, yeah, that's what will happen. Well, it doesn't take long for word to get back to Saul. And so they they usher this young boy in there before Saul. Notice what happens in this section. Look down, if you would, at verse, uh, let's see, 28. 29, 30, there's a lot of verses here, and I'm trying to be selective. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine your servant will go and fight him <laughs> and david stands there before him and says uh, and, and, and you know saul's looking he's been this was going on for 40 days he looks at david and there's nothing about david that impresses him from what he sees is there except his courage and David says, I got a track record, believe it or not, where I've seen God work. And he goes through the whole thing. And okay, okay, okay. And then, and then, and then finally, Saul is desperate. Saul says, okay, let's get the armor on. <laughs> and they put that armor on this kid. And, like, it just doesn't work. And the text ends by David saying, I can't use that. I just use a sling. And He leaves. You know what I found to be really interesting in this whole section, this whole section of First Samuel 17, among other things. Remember, I told you before I've often wondered why, whenever I'm reading the Bible or a narrative, I'm always asking myself, why does it tell one scene in one verse and another scene in 20 verses? Like, like what, what's what's going on there? You know, I feel like I'm a cinematographer, and there's times I'm reading stories and it goes, and then all of a sudden it goes and zips in. And what you find in this passage, repeated throughout this passage, what you find again and again, is David in dialogue with others. It's all over the place. The Israelites talk to David. David talks to them. Eliab talks to David. David talks to him. The Israelites talk again. He talks. Saul talks to him. I mean, all the way. Goliath talks to David. David talks to him. All the way through. You know why? Because the way you find out about David is by what he says. And when everybody else is cowering, this young boy keeps coming on the scene. And you keep going like, wow, this is incredible. I'm supposed to be moving these these along here. Sorry about that. Uh, Opposition unmasks the cowardly. Opposition also unleashes the, the courageous. Because courage, true courage, godly courage, sees how big God is. So David gets those five stones... And he starts moving to Goliath. Now, to help us here, I've asked Samuel, because I embarrassed him last week. So I called his father this week, and I said, can I embarrass him again? And Samuel agreed, and his parents agreed. So Samuel, if you'll come up here for just a second. And you can ju- just stand up here on, on, top, on the stage. I'm going to grab something here. Pray that I don't hit anything here in the process. Okay. Would you mind holding that? Now, Samuel's 5'1. We'll give David a break and say he was 5'3. Okay? This stick is 9 6. Just hold that a second. What do you think? That would be that would be like a first grader or a kindergartner. Who come up to about my belly button? I I, I did the percentage just last night. It came up to my belly button. Okay, so I'm just telling you about here. That would be like a kid about this big. Walking in that auditorium, walking down front, looking at me and say, "Finkbinder, you're going down." <laughs> That's exactly what I would do. Oh, what a nice little boy! You know, I'm so, Thank you, Sam. But you get you get the point. You get the point. So so. But your response. My response would be, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, you go back to your parents, right? Isn't that what you would do? And so we come to a passage where it looks something like this, doesn't it? David comes on the scene, just a little guy about up to the belly button of Goliath. Listen to what he says. Remember I told you before you learn an awful lot about people by what they say. So listen to what the text says. Verse 41, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. I waited 40 days for this? Can you see that? He said to David, am I a dog that you come At me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. And I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. And David shook as he spoke. Is that what your text says? Look at verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, But I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Wow. This young boy before a crowd that is just defied and they can't, st- uh, just angered, everything, everything. David stands before them. And here's what I find to be interesting. Saul looked at Goliath from ground level. And from ground level, he was nine feet six inches tall. David looked at Goliath from God level. And that changes everything, doesn't it? David, David, don't you see how big this guy is? No. I see how big. God is. When God is big and people are small. God was so big. David knew his math tables. One plus God is greater than everything. And that's the only way he could see this guy as somebody who was defying the true and living God. I've often wondered after David said what he just said, because the Philistines said, well, I'm going to feed you to the birds." David says, I'll do one better than that. I'm going to feed you and all the Philistines to the birds. I, mean, I mean, it's just, wow, he's just really into it here. Verse 48. And, and we've been waiting 47 verses for the battle scene. And the battle scene is pretty brief, actually. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell face down to the ground. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. He ran, stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. I go well, that's pretty strong stuff. You know what it made me think of? Couple things. Just so you know, slingshots would have looked something like that. And we're told by experts that people could actually sling these things at a speed of between 100 and 120 miles an hour. That's pretty fast. And stones could be anywhere from the size of, I don't know, a golf ball to maybe a tennis ball in size, something like that. He only had one, well, he had four more, he, it, but in his first one, he flung that thing at a super speed, hit him right at the right time, came down, and off went his head. Now, 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 let me just say this. You know what it made me think of? Do you remember when the ark was stolen by the Philistines and they put it in the temple of Dagon? You know what happened the next day? Everybody came in. That temple had, that Dagon statue had fallen over. His head fell off and it rolled away. It was just, it was, they came in and they saw like, whoa, I read this passage and I'm reminded of that because you will never stand before the true and living God. And what happened with Dagon happened with Goliath. opposition unleashes the courageous because all they can see is how big God is and then courage acts on God's behalf leaving the results to him. Lastly, you know the thing that really impressed me in this chapter? Courage is acknowledged by others. What happens at the end of this chapter going into chapter 18 is this. Everybody standing around David is amazed. Saul's amazed, and he says, look, uh, bring him back in here. And when he's brought back in, he says, I want that kid to stay with me for good. Uh, I, he's, he's a little bit, you know, he's still a kid, but man, I need that kind of courage in my army. But you know the guy who really shocks me is Jonathan. Who's set to be the next king of Israel? It's Jonathan, and Jonathan takes off his armor and his 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 sword and everything, and gives that all to David. That wasn't just like a, some kind of a, a a nice gesture. You know what he was saying? He was saying, "I will give all of my allegiance to you, as the next ruler." Is that not amazing? So, so this courage, which is so rare. Saul sees it, Jonathan sees it the people see it, they rally around David they, 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 they rout the Philistines it's an amazing story but it's ultimately the story about a man who sees how big God is not how big people are so here's the point godly courage sees opposition to God as a God-empowered opportunity to honor God. Isn't that what we learned from David? Here's a young boy so taken back by God, if anybody comes after his name and for who he is, he will step out, he'll stand up for God, he'll trust God to empower him to do whatever God chooses to do, but David will do his part. Now here's my question for you. How did David get ready for this big one? How do you and I get ready for the big one? Do you remember what he said to Saul when he was with him? And I've used this analogy before, but it's especially appropriate here on this day. David was kind of like an NFL football team. He'd already beaten the Lions and the Bears, and now he was ready for the Giants. I know, it's bad. I know, I know. I'm Whatever. Sorry, sorry. Okay. You have to do it sometimes. Okay, anyway. But but here's the point. You remember what he told Saul when he was standing before Saul? Because Saul was saying, kid, you can't do this. David says, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about myself. When I was on a backside of a desert where nobody saw and nobody knew me, I learned to love and trust the true and loving God. And I remember when a lion came, God had given me this stewardship. And I would stand and protect the stewardship that God has given me. And God came through. And later there was a bear, and God came through. And one issue, issue after another, Psalm 78 says, David learned to shepherd before the true and living God on the backside of a desert where nobody saw so he could take him and allow him to shepherd his people, Israel. Do you see that? How do you get ready for the big one? You learn to love and trust God in the little skirmishes of life. Man, do we not all know, have have you not had this? I have, man, I've had it. I'm sure you have too. There's times in my life People begin saying things about God in my presence, and I know I need to say something, and I don't. Have you ever done that? You know what I mean? And, and it's not like an in-your-face, I'm going to, like, really create a problem here. No, no. You just, you know. The Spirit prompts you, and you go like, and then later you feel really bad about it, and he the Lord to forgive you, right? I mean, you know, we, we've all been in those situations, How do you get ready for the big one? You love the true and living God and all the little ones of life. You learn in those situations, God, what do you want me to do? That's what I'll do. I I, I can't do it on my own. I I only have a sling. But you know what, God? Here I go for you by your strength. That's all it is it's that now it's much harder than that to do but it's not really hard to understand is it and and when we do that here and when we do it here and when we do it here no one else is looking but god is working transforming through his spirit in a way that's that only he can do and then you see those people in a different setting and you go like how that ever happen? because it happened here look if you're here today and you say I'm only twelve. I don't care. Matter of fact, you're right where David was. I'm eight years old. Good. Start early. Do you see? It doesn't matter how old you I'm 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 16 years of age. Great! Do it now. Walk with them now. In the little skirmishes of life, let him change you now and transform you as you learn to love and walk with him. And don't be surprised how he uses you down here. It has amazed me through the years. I I first became a youth pastor back in 1985. No, 84. 1984 at another church. Man, I had some junior high youth pastor nonetheless. And I had some of the most squirreliest. Sometimes they seem like pre-people to me, you know. Pre-people, you know. Uh, and, and 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 yet you invest and you work. And now I know so many of them as adults who stand for God with vim and vigor and they love him and they're raising the next generation of Christians and I just go, wow, that's God. I remember that kid as a 7th grader. Holy mackerel. And I watch some of those 7th and 8th graders begin to learn what it means to walk with God and look at what God has done. Do you see? Courage. Courage Sees opposition to God, steps forward in his power for his glory. But you can start it now with the little skirmishes of life. One other thing. I I couldn't help but think about my mind began to roll and I'm running to the New Testament. And I'm saying, where does David in this story kind of come up somewhere in the New Testament? And the closest place is Hebrews 11. Where we are to look at David and say, God, can you do that kind of work in my life too? So I can be to learn to love him in the little skirmishes of life. And you do that work from the inside out that one day, it's all you, Lord. And that's what Hebrews 11 will tell us. But you know what Hebrews 12 will tell us? As much as we look at all those individuals, and we do, and we're encouraged and challenged, it's great stuff. The writer of Hebrews says, but focus your eyes on Jesus. Because he, when there was opposition, sin, and death, and hell, he chose to become a man and walk away from the joys and the wonders of heaven. And to walk, and the the way he got victory was by apparently losing, but he didn't lose. He walked, and he walked this life, and then he died on that cross and resurrected from that grave. And you and I are forever freed, if you know him, from that opposition. So as much as we look at David, and we should, oh man, David, I want to be like you. Look at Jesus and want to be like him. Because what David did with all his failures, Christ did perfectly. And he says, look to me, and as you're struggling, keep looking at me and realize whatever you do, it will never be as hard as what I did. And we step out for him. And, folks, this is what I'd say. If you know Christ as your Savior... Will you walk through the little skirmishes of life with him? And if you are, stay the course. If you don't know Christ, forget about standing for God. Just like forget it. You're on the wrong team. (laughs) You got to get on the right team. You got to find forgiveness through Jesus Christ alone and let him do his work in your life. God, give us this kind of courage. Father, we thank you for this very simple story, one that we've known for, well, if we've been around Christianity and church for most of our life. Father, it's rich. We, We are challenged by a young boy of perhaps 15 years of age That was so in love with you on the backside of a desert. That when he he saw this tall, strong, formidable man. All he could see is that he was defying you. And he stood up. God, will you grant us that kind of resolve? Because we look to a savior who has done far more than that. And asks us to walk with him through all the challenges of life. God, do your good work through your spirit of making us a courageous people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.